As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Racing Barrels. It's Thursday, April 6th. Derek and Riper, Al Melkier here. You know, Saris's vacation continues, and we've got a special guest joining us today. It is Mike Curlin. You've seen Mike's work on The Athletic. You've probably seen him on his Patreon, Gaining the Edge, Listen to the Bases Loaded Pod, or on Twitter at Mike underscore Curlin. Mike, how you doing? I'm fantastic. I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and hang out with you guys. This seems like the best time of year to talk to you. I mean, there's always never a bad time to talk to you. Yeah, this right. seems like the absolute sweet spot time of year to discuss things with you because you focus a lot on playing time, roles within batting orders and shares of playing time. And I think it's such a fun time of year to watch baseball, but such a miserably challenging time of year to analyze it and have meaningful takeaways. But playing time is one thing that I think you can watch on a micro level and you can react to it and not necessarily be hurting yourself in the long run with your with your fantasy team. So I think... I wanted to talk to you about your your process for you know what you're doing as you're looking at every possible scenario around the league. It seems like you turn over every single stone across the league on a day to day basis. How do you do that from just a, a logistical perspective? Like, what? How much time do you spend on that? And like, what what combination of tabs and screens and apps are you using to pull all this information together and then to pass it back along in a more digestible format? Man, <laughs> that's a loaded question because it seems to evolve every year. First off, it starts off in spring training where that's where I, you know, the coverage starts there. So I get a good little head start and it gives me an idea of where things are headed. And a lot of times it does carry over to the early part of the year, especially the first month, a month and a half or so. So seeing that carryover is always nice, a little bit confirmation bias. But then we do we get thrown for a loop because teams don't show their full hand all the time in spring. Some teams show more than others. But uh, yeah, so it's really, it's a process of, um, I like to use personally, uh, not roster resource, I like to use roster resource for other things, but baseball reference is my go-to for the lineups. I like the way they lay it out for me. They have a little toggle screen for lefties, righties, and obviously I mind the news in terms of like who's in, who's out, who's injured, so who's getting playing time because of injury, who's due back, how can that affect, so all this stuff's kind of kept in the brain because of just how frequently I'm looking at it, but that's like, so I have, what, Roto World for news, Twitter for news, I have a uh, Baseball reference for the lineups. I look at last seven and last 14 in terms of uh, days played for trends, looking for hitters playing well. Because what I do, what I think that helps us with giving us the last seven, last 14, players that are playing well could run hot, could get more playing time depending on team match. Uh, for instance, like a Matt Veerling, although we expect him to kind of platoon, he's getting some run versus righties, not full run against righties. And that could just be, you know, Miggy needs his days off, et cetera. But if he's hitting well, that could push that that could force their hand and maybe you see them start getting a few extra starts there. So now suddenly that platoon turns into, okay, not quite fully platooning. There's a little extra playing time there, a little extra play appearances. And it's kind of just a process of trying to catch it as it's happening or right before it happens. That way you can be ahead of the market. But then you do this for every single team and every team has their quirks. You have teams that are way more platoon heavy, way more strict with their platoons versus other teams like the Rays or 
somewhat strict and like you'll see they're like as soon as you think you haven't figured out then they change things up giants are kind of the same way they kind of mix and match who they're platooning but they do stick to platoons with certain players and you just kind of have to learn that it's kind of as it goes and then of course this year baseball savant i've been trying to factor that in more so what i'm doing is taking yes i look at yesterday's recaps i kind of look at just um playing time who's getting pinch hit for i've been watching a lot of who's getting pinch hit for because you have guys like blake sable who are losing playing time mid-game. Nick Gordon, the first three games of the season, I think he only had two play appearances per game while being the starter. So stuff like that is just kind of more and more in-depth as I go. And I just add to it because, as you're mentioning, it's kind of the new day. It's like the way relievers are with baseball. Or with baseball, of course it's baseball. <laughs> with relievers are with teams. Uh, just the way they're being utilized and match-dependent. You're seeing lineups kind of, and lineups aren't staying the same versus lefties players shift up, shift down. So projection systems that's hard for them to project playing time or play appearances. So you kind of, if you have an idea of how teams treat players and which players might move up or move down in the, before the season even starts, you can kind of tweak the play appearances to kind of give you a more true projection, not to mention the ball stuff. It's a whole other discussion, but yeah, so it's a long winded way of showing kind of where it goes, but it really does change through with the pay on the team and all the other stuff. Well, Mike, that uh, analysis with pinch hitting is, is I think, really next level. Uh, I've never heard of anybody looking into that and not, you know, not even realizing how much of an impact that has. Would I be right to assume that from your observations, that's going to affect people more in the bottom three, maybe four spots in the lineup? And should we be giving maybe greater penalties to players that are hitting regularly in that part of the lineup? Yes and no. It's it's a it's a loaded question because I don't think a lot of teams do it, but you are seeing more teams do it. But no, for instance, I think the Giants did it just yesterday with Lamont Wade, who's a leadoff hitter. So it really is team dependent. But then you, but I do agree. I have noticed it is mostly those guys on the bottom half of the lineup. It makes the most sense. Those guys are already fringe for this roster in most rosters anyway, right? So uh, like like Blake Sable is just the first one that came to mind because it's been a lot of him. But I think Nick Gordon was batting sixth, which is a rather solid spot in a Minnesota Twins lineup. I know he was leading off yesterday, but it's a Kepler out. But then that's another thing. You have to remember, players shifting up and down can also be due to just days off or injury. So you can't just react to a one-day sample size. You need more a lot of the times. Or just understand, like, hey, this happened. Now if it sticks when this guy returns, now there's something to it. But it's unfortunate. We don't really have time to do that reaction. But back to your original question, um, it, usually, it usually is the bottom three. But, yes, yeah, some teams, like Garrett Mitchell, I think, also pinch hit for, was it Brousseau that led off yesterday or two days ago? So that's another uh, – like if you see like a guy who's on a clear split, like a Brousseau, like a Owen Miller, those guys, if they're hitting towards the top of the lineup, those guys are still more likely to get pitch hit for in the middle of games. But the the, the reverse is also uh, potentially there. Like Bryce Terang, although he's played majority of the play appearances, he's been pinch hitting against le- uh, righties even when he's not starting against lefties. A Bryce Terang type can still lose the occasional play appearance or two to an Owen Miller, to a Brousseau late in games. Even though his splits weren't necessarily bad in the minors, they have been treating him as a platoon partner. So it just really is uh, specific. But for more, more times than not, the guy on the strong side of the platoon is gaining plate appearances even when he's not starting at the way things have been looking early on anyway. Curious if you think this, this kind of deep dive look at playing time is one of the best ways right now to actually get an edge in leagues. Because if you think about how people draft, many people use the same sets of projections, whether that's the stuff you see on fan graphs like the bat or ATC or zips. I know some people make their own and those projections are great too. Uh, But generally what you were kind of pointing to is that the playing time is not nearly as accurate as the slash line, right? The projection systems are good at projecting skills. They've done that very well. And I've, I've come to the point where I don't really want to make my own projections because I don't think I can make better projections than Derek Cardi does. Yeah. And I just don't think I'm going to beat him at that. But I do think I can, I can go through a depth chart and think about how the pieces fit and read the news and try to interpret that news and get maybe the last possible edge by being more accurate at assessing playing time than everybody else. I know injury risk also throws a wrench in all this, but do you think this is truly like one of the one of the forefronts of having an edge in season long fantasy baseball now that so many high quality projection systems and draft tools are out there and, and freely and readily available? I mean, maybe I'm a little biased, but of course I'm gonna say yes, of course I do see this as an edge, but it's one of those things where Everything is so readily available, including me covering this over at The Athletic. Shameless plug there, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, no, the, the idea here is uh, the way I try to lo- utilize it is I take the projection systems and I kind of just plug in my own playing time projections. I did the math on like which teams, and that's another thing, which teams get more play appearance per lineup spot. 
that's also a thing. So if you can kind of take those numbers and kind of realize, okay, well, this play, this team's getting like an extra 0.3 at bats from the four hitter. This guy's batting fourth here. Now I can kind of rearrange the play appearances, get like an actual number, not just like I'm going to give them a random obscure 600 uh, play appearances. I try to be more accurate in the preseason. I take my I take my play appearance projections and I try to and I just plug them into because, like, you know, there's models that they create these days that you can just plug them into SGP, SGP, SGP sheets and it, it'll spit out numbers to you. So now you're getting kind of a mix of my own projected playing time based on my you know, know how a team tr treats a player. Maybe I project them for an extra X amount of play appearances because I think he's going to lead off, even though projection system might see that, et cetera. But now I'm still getting the best part of the projection system from, you know, what they, like you mentioned, they project skills very well. So I take the two, combine them, and I do think that gives me a little bit of an edge. But players are so good these days. In-season moves are so, are, are, are really what's going to end up being the difference maker for a lot of people. And some of the best players are, are monitoring this stuff as well. So it's a matter of just, it's, it's hard to do it on the micro level I'm doing it, but the point is, is I, but the purpose of it is to try to give me that edge, but also provide the edge to people who are following my content. So it's, it's a, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a lot. It's a bittersweet <laughs> for sure. Cause I do enjoy having a feel for the pulse on so many things, but then I'm afraid it's one of those, is this one of those really being really good at a lot of things, but the master of none, so to speak. So I really mm. try to hone in on lineups, but so far it's paying early dividends in leagues, but what, seven days in, one bad game from three people can put me in the bottom three of any league. So, Yeah, that's the fun thing about this time, right? I, the other day I watched in one league go from, I think, 14th to 7th because of, you know, a couple players that had big games. That's not going to happen in a few weeks. But, um, you know, I want to uh, allude to something, Mike, that you were just talking about, which is you know, in your process that you're always, you've always got your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And that I feel like that's, it's a hard thing to talk about or, kind of give actionable advice based on, but it's like when we have discussions and forums like this one about, uh, you know, what does it take to, to get an edge of the league? And we talk about, uh, you know, analytics or, uh, you know, keeping up with the news, but just that like always being plugged in process and, and kind of building that library in your mind. I just feel, feel like that's invaluable. And um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know uh, that there's much more, to add, add to that, or I, I would assume you agree since that, that's your process, but uh, I do think it's really good to always have the, it's always good to have an idea. But here's the thing now, I used to like one of the weaknesses I'll say there is a weakness to it. Um, I start placing value on players that might not necessarily have it, like a Taylor Walls, not that he like he's not the best for fantasy, but he's playing a good amount for the Rays. Do I value those play appearances? I've taught myself not to, but when you look at it and see playing time. You know, maybe in our only league, that's where you get your benefit. Like, oh, look, he's getting played appearances regardless of matchup. You know, he's not in, he's not every day, but he's like a two out of three day type of guy. So that's where it can kind of drive you in the wrong direction if you're not careful. Mm, so yeah. that's where I would recommend if you get into like diving deep like this, be mindful that not, not all play appearances are created equal in terms of the talent behind them. So just because you're finding this little edge in playing time doesn't mean it's always going to give you the it's not gonna always gonna edge you in the right direction, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's go ahead, Al. No, I was just going to say, I went back and looked at your, your column from, uh, I think it must've gone up on Monday. Cause it was, you know, basically like what, you know, what have we learned from the first weekend of the season and how already since then, you know, what, three, four days later, <laughs> there's, there's things that have changed. So yeah. How much stock do you put in, uh, you know, somebody who's now just getting a first opportunity, like, uh, like a Joey Weimer, uh, you know, is the sort of thing where you kind of look ahead, you know, the next four days and that outlook might be really different, or uh, is it easier to tell with some players than others that there's, there's some long-term value there? I, I think that goes back to what we, I feel like what we've always thought about that type of thing usually holds true. For instance, like with a Joey, uh, it's Weimer, right? I always call it Weimer. It's Weimer. I apologize. Uh, but yeah, with a Joey Weimer, for instance, they weren't going to call him up not to sit him or just to sit him. So that's one of those things where you can see that and be like, all right, he's coming up. He's going to play. And he has played pretty much every day. He wasn't, he's not platooning. So that's one of those where you can kind of project forward a little bit looking at him. But then you get those fringe guys like uh, what uh, Jason Vossler randomly decided to break out. And it's because I think injury opened up playing time for him. But so it's like if he was one of those guys that got called up as a filler, he's not a guy that I'm going to go ahead and uh, necessarily want to plug in. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, so I think one of the really challenging parts of this, context is really key when it comes to playing time. Taylor Walls is a great defender. Because he's a great defender yep. and he can play a bunch of spots, he gets played appearances, and you're exactly right. In a mono league, that's great. That's a that's a hidden value sort of player. In a mixed league, until he does more with the bat or starts to steal more bases, unfortunately, he's just not going to provide much. I think the hard thing is t- taking a guy like Weimer, and in the past, this the, the one that burned me the most, I think, in the last few years was Nate Lowe. When the Rays were first bringing up Nate Lowe a few years ago, they were hitting him in the cleanup spot. And I took that as something that was really important. I was like, they're hitting him cleanup. They didn't. They brought him up to play him, and they're putting him in a prominent spot in their lineup. This is the moment. This is the moment that he's passing. I think at the time, it might have been G-Man Choi. Yanni Diaz, I think, was already there. It's like, oh, this is it. Nate Lowe is the new cleanup hitter in Tampa Bay. He's a priority player. I advise people to go pick him up. I put in some big bids myself. Ten days go by. Someone gets back from the IL, probably Choi. And they option Nate Lowe down. I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't didn't putting him in the cleanup spot give me some kind of real indication that they believed in him and trusted him in a very prominent role? I mean, how much does it just vary from team to team, too, as far as the context goes? Like, I think you're 100% right on someone like Weimer. I think where I probably underestimated it was if they, if they really wanted to just be safe and play the veterans, they would have brought Abraham Toro back from AAA and let Brian Anderson stay in the outfield and just mess around with with matchups and we'd see Toro and Luke Voigt and the veterans playing more than Weimer but because they brought the young guy up he was going to play until he gave them a reason not to play and so far he's doing great with the bat and he's playing good defense and I think like defense does get kind of lost in the conversation a lot of times it's something that's it's important in fantasy even though we don't directly reward it in fantasy outside of playing time yeah defense is something another thing i've actually made a point to be more mindful of because this spring without thinking about it like right before spring started i started kind of put out like just random tweets kind of like hey I, you know what if paredes still is gonna platoon and then i threw out a name because he played there last year i think it was aranda and i'm like well then i'm like and i got bombarded with people like yeah his gloves terrible i'm like you know what you're right i can't just throw names out there anymore so that's something i've actually made a point to encompass like make sure i was like okay let me stay on top of defense because defense matters in this type of you know what the leagues we're talking about here obviously are deep formats as well because uh you're looking for any type of edge it goes back to playing time and defense will carry playing time that's why you see michael a taylor playing so much not that they have any other options for center field but they could have put joey gallo there we've seen gallo play center you're seeing guys like um I, I, you mentioned I, I, who you mentioned oh uh, jackie bradley jr is also getting run because the royals valued outfield defense so stuff like that you're seeing this happen and it's defense matters for fantasy. So if you're wondering why your favorite player like Edward Olivares isn't playing every day, apparently he's bad <laughs> in the field. And that's going to matter to a team like that, to the Royals, apparently. They care about outfield defense. According to people I've talked to that are fans of the team, I can't speak to every team uh, in terms of how they are. I usually reach out to people I know follow the team more to see what their team usually does. Because obviously that's the thing. It's like as, as granular as I try to get, there's always someone who's going to know more about a specific team just based on how much they follow them. Like, I expect DVR to know a lot more about the Brewers than me in terms of like coaching concepts and all that stuff. It's fair. I, I, I spend way too much time thinking about it, so <laughs> I, I hope I know something. But even with Weimer, though, I'm just like, uh, it, I think because so here's, here's what I got spooked by on him. Here's why I don't have him everywhere, even though I'm a Brewers fan. I thought the swing and miss we saw in the upper levels of the minor leagues were going to make it really difficult for him to adjust quickly to big league pitching. So I thought we'd see a lot of swing and miss. We'd see him end up maybe more on the small side of platoon in the next couple of weeks and then possibly get sent back down, even though the Urias absence is eight weeks. It's a long window. So there was enough of a ceiling there where it probably made sense to be a little more aggressive than I was, or at least more aggressive than I was suggesting other people be because I don't have him anywhere. There are good tools, and I think... It, He's the perfect example of just like, are you are you betting on tools or are you betting against flaws? Because I was actually betting against flaws in this case because I saw enough moving parts in the roster to where 
I saw too much playing time downside to think he was viable in mixed leagues. So we'll see if I'm right. I look very wrong about a week into it, but things change very quickly. I think that's the other thing people have to realize is the lineups this week could look very different than the lineups next week, and it could be due to things that are out of any one player's individual performance and control. Yeah, Joey Weimer is a great example of, uh, but that's the thing. That's where my my brain went with is like I thought initially they might not even call him up. I'm like they just sent them down. I know calling one of him or Freelick up made sense, but I thought I thought the same thing. I'm like they could just put Owen Miller at third base. They can put, they can keep uh, Anderson in right if they really want to play this manipulation game. But the fact that they didn't was what sold me on it. But I was the same way. I wasn't as aggressive because although we saw you know Weimer take that step forward in AAA last year in the plate discipline, it was the fact that he had a 30 percent. Uh, strikeout rate in double a so it's like are we and it was and it's been it was like three straight stops of it kind of creeping up so the sudden success at triple a for it to just click randomly as he got higher in the levels really was like i don't know if i buy into that as much and but like you mentioned early return has been that's carrying over but we're talking such a small sample size you can't necessarily believe that to be the case mlb pitchers are gonna adapt and he's gonna have to adapt as well but all things considered i like i said the what sold me was the fact that they had other options already on the roster and but they called him up anyway i didn't think they were calling him up for depth that was i I, saw i had that part right but i was still not thinking he was going to come up and you know be this successful or so quickly so I was wrong there. So when you were talking about your process a little while ago, Mike, uh, and you alluded to, uh, you know, looking at last seven day, last 14 day. Well, we're now we're now a weekend. So, you know, you, you've got that seven day uh, trend uh, at your disposal. But at what point do you start to feel a little bit more more comfortable, uh, particularly with the the part of your analysis that does involve uh, looking at the stats? Uh, and and before you get to that point, uh, how do you how do you deal with that? I think this time of the year is the, the most important thing is to not overreact. Playing time is I'm monitoring mostly right now is like strictly playing time and even lineups. I'm kind of just watching them settle because we have so many things we have guys having. And you have to remember, we're in a day and age where days off are also happening even from day one. So how like how much of that is affecting things? But like there are certain things that you could take away, for instance, like Isak Paredes was a name I mentioned before against lefties. He's batting third. However, he started against only one of three righties. I can't say for certain he's in a platoon based on that. However, now I'm wondering how much playing time is going to be there against righties. I got so I'm starting to make little notes more so than definite like definite things. But you also can't just wait to react. Luke Rayleigh is getting everyday playing time against righties, so maybe he becomes a very intriguing late uh, deep league sleeper if he has if the Rays face like five out of seven righties in a week or something. So you have to react in that aspect, and you also have to react in terms of who's playing and how often. But in terms of actual like stats. Other than just looking at pitchers for their pitch mixes, uh, velo, and obviously if hitters, I'm just kind of seeing if people who are playing, I'm not really worried about veterans. It's the young guys like a Bryce Terang. You start looking into him a little more and you're like, because I really like Terang. I have a lot of him. I was getting on him just because of how cheap he was with the skill set he had. But uh, you're seeing that skill set kind of carry over. High contact guy, a little pop, speed, good defense. Like That's the type of guy It's like, all right, well, there's going to be run there. He's going to get the strong side platoon. He already has one. So that maybe you can gain more against lefties, but that's the type of thing I'm reacting to the guys who have opportunity who are taking advantage of it early. So, but meanwhile, I'm not overreacting to like, I'm not going crazy and fab for these guys. I will try to bid of what I think's a fair amount for them. At the same time though, guys like Rowdy off to slow start guys like, I don't know, other slow insert and slow starter here that you actually believed in. I'm not dropping them or overreacting. And th- those guys are not even moving in lineups. They're still batting where they're supposed to be batting. And you got to give those guys more patience. So really at the end of the day, I'm really just focused on, uh, how teams are treating treating these fringe guys and guys that were platooning in the past and possibly starting to platoon here and kind of trying to react in that manner more than anything else. Yeah, it seems like so much with role and lineup placement depends on how much of a track record you have, and that's what makes us even more difficult. You want a statistically meaningful sample to understand if a player is is good or not, and sometimes we're not we're not given that luxury, or or we have to decide before the sample becomes meaningful. Yeah, that's right, why you have this to, guy up. Are we playing this guy? You have to be. A, so what it is, is sec- the second there's a, a hint of playing time favoring a player, say like a David Hensley, like mm. then I'll, I'll be able, I'll, I'll try to get ahead of the market and grab him cheap because I'm like, all right, well, they're playing on like three out of four or three out of five. Maybe there's a chance that he gets more. If I have room for him, I'll stash a guy like that. Or But Hensley's obviously rostering a lot of leagues. So we could talk about uh, Yanner Diaz, who could gain catch eligibility. So a guy like that, but his playing time hasn't been great. So he's obviously not in the discussion, but just one of those types of teams where there's a path to playing time, who's getting kind of that look. Maybe there's like a mix of guys and one guy standing out a little bit. 
that's where I maybe try to take advantage of it and look at it as like a stash opportunity. But in terms of overreacting to small samples, I'm I've gotten way better. I refuse to do it. And honestly, <laughs> I'm afraid if I, maybe I'll miss this year because like usually I'm a little more aggressive. But I'm like, I'm I've been burned one too many times being overly aggressive early. Well, I know you're, you know, you've already talked about so many different things that you're taking into account. Like I said, you know, stuffing this all in your, your mental library, but, um, in, in doing my research for the waiver column, I'm looking at the schedule. Uh, I try to, you know, look maybe a couple weeks ahead, especially when I'm looking at, at, at pictures. One thing I noticed, um, in researching for the column this week is, uh, the Red Sox are going to face a whole lot of lefties in the next week. So I'm thinking Tristan Casas probably going to sit a lot. And I mean that there's, you know, not a lot to uh, to expand on there because obviously if that, that's a borderline decision, you're, you're going to have to sit them. But how, how far ahead do you look at schedule uh, in terms of making your decisions or in terms of uh, what you recommend for other people? Uh, I think maybe when there was a, a more unbalanced schedule, you could say, oh, in this division, there's there's more lefty pitchers or whatever. That's maybe not as much of a factor now. But so maybe maybe it kind of behooves us to do even more homework and, you know, look two, three, four weeks ahead. Is that something you think that would, would pay off? So I, with, with pitchers, I look upwards of a month. If I like a pitcher, I'm like, okay, I find him intriguing. Let me go look at his schedule. I look, try I try to, you know, look a month ahead, get four starts, a two start in there and see like, okay, am I starting this guy or not? Like pitchers, that's kind of, and I think most people are on that page now, it's like looking ahead beyond the one week or the two start streamers. You have to get ahead of the market because everyone knows those names. Everyone knows the guys. It's starting to come. It's becoming more normal that people know the week guys two weeks out. That's where it's like, it's frustrating, but you know, we already had what, like four or five rainouts today. So it's getting really difficult to sit here and plan ahead for pitchers because of rainouts anyway. So you're trying, now you're getting a little too ahead of yourself sometimes, but it's good to have an idea of a guy, way a guy lines up anyway with hitters. I try to keep it to about two weeks at most, just because um, teams, especially depending on the team and depending on how they're treating that player currently, that's where it gets, again, it really is dependent. It always goes back to depending on the team and co- team context, because some teams are a little more easy to call out. Other teams are not. But um, yeah, I'd say about two weeks out, but even a week out, you're fine. If you can get ahead of like, if you look like today, today's what, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, I'm losing track of days. If you look at, so right now you can go on, well, you can go on fan graphs, go to their probables and you can see through next Saturday. So you can kind of plan out. So you can obviously assume Sunday, you can look that up another way other options as well but you can just assume sunday you know they're going to match up you just have to figure out which pitcher right whatever you can kind of just get yourself ahead of the game in terms of just knowing how to plan your week ahead especially if you're in nfbc formats where it's twice weekly you can kind of be like all right cool so they're playing two out of three lefties insert team here's playing two out of three lefties and whatever so you're like well i gotta sit this guy who doesn't play against lefties and maybe you can it goes back to that luke Rayleigh conversation like you know he's available in majority of leagues if, if they're facing three out of four righties and you're in need of some pop and you're looking for some upside and you're now then you look ahead all right cool he has really good matchups this week you look ahead to the next week that's it's almost like i trim like a pitcher i look at each player individually players i'm intrigued by by an early start and then i try to project their potential matchups for up to two weeks just because it goes back to pitchers you know getting get back from injury pitchers getting injured just different things happen but um if i could try to see like okay cool so the next two weeks they have 12 games and he's facing 10 righties, that becomes a lot more interesting and palatable. And that's where it becomes more, more useful because in these deeper formats, you need that edge of playing time. Whereas in shallower formats, you don't really have to think that deep into it, but it could still help you in terms of just lineup decisions. So you should, it's always good to know who's playing, how many matchups, X amount of days a week, et cetera. It's, and I try to do this for every team. It's, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a, you can hear I'm deflate. I love it. I really do enjoy it. And it makes me a better player to do it, which is what makes me happy to, about, you know, doing it. But yeah, by the end of every day, I'm like, that was a rough one time to do it again tomorrow, <laughs> you know, but uh, in, in a lot of ways, is this sounds similar. I started playing a little more DFS probably 2019, I want to say. So I wasn't like first wave DFS. I've never had a big bankroll for it. I didn't have a lot of time for it to sit down and, and crunch lineups for two or three hours at a time before lock. It just it didn't fit my schedule at all. But as I played more DFS, I did feel like my ability to, to understand playing time patterns around the league got better because you're hyper-focused to lineup position and who's in and who's out and who actually does leave early and how rested relievers are and all, all these other things. So even if you don't play in an actual daily moves league, playing DFS even a couple times a week is another way to sort of force you to do some of this sort of uh, dirty work that actually helps you a lot from a season-long perspective. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man and the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to throw some toss-ups at you, Mike. Just some fast start players and who you think is going to be better for them this point forward. So we're going to start with a couple of outfielders. Uh, we got Jose Siri and James Outman, two guys that were... Pretty trendy, I think, as late darts in deeper mixed leagues, both off to good starts so far. So if you're choosing today for the rest of the season, who do you prefer between Siri and Altman? I'm going to take Siri. A lot of that is the fact that there's a power and speed skill set there. People like I know I thought of Siri. I thought of him more of a speed guy. I mean, he had like what 10 stolen bases in the spring, but there is pop there. I mean, he's just it's a matter of getting the ball in the air more. However, Siri has a. Uh, Siri has the, you see the max exit velocity is hitting around 110, 111. He's able to get it up there. That power is not like questionable. It's there. The speed is there. He's going to, and he doesn't really platoon. He's one of the few raised bats that aren't platooning because he plays good enough defense to stay in that lineup, which is, again, it goes back to the uh, Rays obviously value some defense because they aren't platooning Siri when they're platooning everyone else around them. So I'm going to go Siri because, again, obviously Outman has the power, but Outman also has the platoon concerns, some swing and miss in that profile coming into the year as well as Siri, but Siri has that speed aspect that kind of is the differentiator between them and a little more path to playing time. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that too. I think the Rays, because of the way they value his defense, especially, that's going to keep him closer to that max playing time share. I don't know if it's impossible for Outman. It just seems less likely based on the makeup of that roster. That seems Mm -hmm. like a spot they are mixing and matching a bit more with right now. It might take an injury or two for Outman to really get a look against uh, same-handed pitching. Uh, Let me throw another one out there. We'll throw this one to you too, Al. Let's start with you, Al. (laughs) Jiwon Bay versus Jorge Mateo for the rest of this season. Uh, I'll give the edge to Bay just because... uh, I think long term, just the playing time is is going to be there more. Uh, the the Orioles, uh, you know, still have players to uh, to promote, and uh, I, I, Bay is you know he's new, new, you know, relatively new to the the Pirates roster, and I don't I don't really see any roadblocks there at all. So, and I think they're both players that if you got them three hundred plate appearances, they'd still be really helpful for stolen bases. But I think uh, Bay's got that better opportunity to uh, to rack up a higher total. Mike, how about you? Sorry, Al. I just have to respectfully disagree. <laughs> I feel bad. That's what makes the <laughs> show interesting. <laughs> no, it's just, it's one of those things where I just, I don't trust the, I mean, as much as Mateo has a tougher path in terms of holding on to that spot, maybe, but that if that glove is anything as good as it was last year, I have a hard time seeing them sitting him, even for the other options they have coming up. Unless they obviously could trade Mateo because Mateo, considering he's probably going to be more useful to a contending team that maybe the Orioles are contenders, but who knows? I do know there's, Plenty of warts in the game here for Mateo. But I think there's some hidden pop there. and But we know the stolen bases, they're already there. He's running as at will. And I think that it's kind of like the devil you know versus the devil you don't kind of thing. And Bay is intriguing. But the Pirates are also just a weird team. Like if Bay struggles, they'll put Castro in there. They'll put – they went out – they'll – They'll call up one of the random guys that can play. I think I think uh, Smith and Jigba could play second base even. I, th- I feel like we've seen them there. If not, they have, I think, Marcano. But I can't think of say his first name, but Marcano in the minors. They have – do they still have Mark Mathias? I think they, they added him or they, they traded for him or something like that in, the, in the spring, and they had him taking second base run. So it's 
it's not that they lack op they lack good options i'm aware of that <laughs> but but it's also the pirates that like i feel like we just see them like they'll throw whatever at the wall and see what sticks you know that's what scares me about them as much as mateo has better actual options looming in the minors and then henderson can always move over etc i just think that that glove as long as that glove is good especially right especially with the shift changes i kind of try to factor that in as well these shift changes take away or add the need for a strong shortstop to be able to cover a lot more area have a lot more range and be a lot better same thing with second base which is why like i watched the braves game the other day and orlando rc is gonna get plenty like the fact that i saw how good he was at defense like with my own eyes not just by the numbers it made total sense why he broke broke uh the broke season with the team you know just made sense like how good of a defender you have he is that's huge for with these new shift rules so i think that defense will matter in these in these aspects i think mateo's glove again being as good as it was last year is gonna be the difference maker and why i think he's gonna play just just plenty enough and be a little more useful than bay i do think bay is uh intriguing though i actually do like bay so i'm not saying i disagree with you because you're wrong i just disagree because i'm right no I'm kidding <laughs> okay no it's uh it's it's it gets a good conversation i just i try i think i just trust the track record there with the tail a little more too Here's a different kind of question. Luke Rayleigh versus Nolan Gorman. You're looking for some power. Maybe it's a 10 or a 12-team league where those guys are actually available. I think Gorman got snapped up in most of the 12-team leagues that I saw over the weekend. But both can mash. Both probably don't play much or at all against lefties in the near future. So who do you choose between Rayleigh and Gorman, especially given that Gorman had that prospect pedigree? This time last year, people were a lot more excited about him. I'm still gonna go Gorman just because of the uh again the pedigree's there. He's what is he? He's only 22 years old. He's turning 23 in like a month and a half or not like a month. Um, I don't. I understand the strikeouts are still close to 30, percent but he's walking 23 and a half or 23.8 percent of the time. We're talking 21 play appearances though. The strikeouts are going to be an issue. Anybody thinking they weren't because of a hot week, that was a mistake. But I do think he's going to have the strong side playing time playing time for now at DH. He's on the better team. Oh, debatably, I guess it's not quite necessarily they're the better team but i feel like i trust the cardinals to be an offensive juggernaut 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 more more of the season than the rays i think the rays can you know more so up and down depending on hot streaks and stuff but all things considered i do trust the playing time there because the rays are more likely to turn to somebody else if Rayleigh is not working out then i think the car i don't think the Cardinals have as many options they do have like juan yapez and alec burleson so they don't it's not like they lack options I just think the Rays always have more and are always willing, more willing to tinker than the Cardinals are. Yeah, Rayleigh is just a classic Rays pickup, though. Guy's oh, yeah. going to find it. It's going to be chunky playing time, but it's going to be 18 or 20 bombs and like 350 plate appearances. So if you can kind of walk the line perfectly and, and have him in your lineup when he's actually playing and not take a lot of zeros or pinch hit games, then you might actually be pretty happy with him. I'm with you on Gorman. Is it a sweep for Gorman, Al? Yeah, clean sweep. And for, and for all the reasons that Mike gave. Yeah, age is key here. I think with, with Nolan Gorman, five of six starts so far. The only game he didn't start was the only one in which the Cardinals faced a left-handed starter. For his career, he's been up for 334 plate appearances now in the big leagues going back to last season. 16 homers. Nolan Gorman's got a 237, 317, 445 line for a rookie. That is not bad. <laughs> That's not failure. That is acceptable for a player breaking in for the first time. In fact, that's actually better than a league average hitter during that time because the league slash line has been so bad. So if you, if you want like your pie in the sky, who could Nolan Gorman become? I actually think his profile as a hitter reminds me a lot of Austin Riley, where you'd see Austin Riley going through the minors, showing pop, move up a level. K-Rate would go through the roof. He'd spend time there. He'd get better. I realize they hit from different sides, but I still think Nolan Gorman's ceiling is very high from a pure fantasy perspective, even if it doesn't all come together for him this year, I would also take him over Luke Rayleigh. How about this one? Two guys that are just finding playing time somewhat unexpectedly. One more of a surprise than the other. Jason Vossler versus David VR. This is definitely like 15 teams and, and deeper. Uh, we'll start with you on this one, Al. Uh, I, I want it to be Vossler, but I, I've got to go VR. Uh, but I, I love that fit of Vossler in Cincinnati in terms of the type of hitter that he is. You know, fly ball pitter, hitter could uh, just take advantage of that. Parker, we've seen that already in a few days. So uh, I'd like to see him get more of an opportunity. I was actually reading something earlier today that the Reds are going to try him out at various positions. So I, I'd be excited to see that. But uh, I think VR is a, a pretty good bet for for playing time uh, for the Giants, even though, you know, last year I got very used to the idea that the Giants had very few true regulars. But at least from what we've seen early on, it looks like VR's playing time is fairly safe. 
Yeah, four starts in a row for VR as we enter play here on Thursday. Uh, Mike, which side of this one are you on? I'm with Al this time. We agree. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it comes down to path to playing time because you have Votto returning. You have Stevenson who's supposed to factor into DH and first base at times too, so they can keep his bat line up. And you have Myers also in the picture. It's just that it's as simple as it's kind of a crowded situation, and Vossler becomes that odd man out. But we have seen the thing is those we all root for Vossler because we've seen him be like the when he was with the Giants what was it, a couple years back where he just had that like special like run. I just remember him being very useful. I kind of root for the guy ever since. So I'm rooting for him. But yeah, I think it comes down to just give me the playing time in VR. Let's go one on the pitching side for the rest of this season. This one's tough. Jeffrey Springs or Jesus Lazardo. Who do you think actually puts together the better season here on out? Mm. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with my guy here. I like them both. I'm just such a Jesus Lazardo guy. I've, I have them in my main event. I have them in majority of my leagues and it's beyond the Marlins fandom. It was a, what, what, stole, what stole me, what stole my heart was seeing his velocity back up in spring. Cause we know how good Lazardo was last year when healthy and seeing not only did we see the velo up, but I think it's even up a little bit from last year or it's close to what he was at least. It might be right around where he was before the injury last year. That's the concern with Lazardo is the injury. I know Springs looked amazing. Um, I got to see, see both these guys easily producing a path to positive ROI. That's not the question here. I do think Lazardo could edge him out. The only thing that might hold Lazardo back are the wins because fantasy wins matter. The Marlins aren't going to win a lot of games. But I just I'm so impressed by what he's showing and the fact that he's carrying it over from last year. I give me 150 innings of both, and they're both going to be great pitchers but i'm taking lazardo just because i think there's a little bit longer of a track record of success well maybe not i guess springs had his success last year but lazardo also comes with that pedigree and my bias so because i have lost years <laughs> <laughs> i think there are more people that want to see lazardo become an ace because they've expected it for so long so i think the most people given this choice are going to probably lean toward lazardo they're very close in value i think that's why i wanted to throw it out there because it's it's tough it's like do you want the high ceiling guy that could be a true number one or do you want the overachiever who seems to have been uh, tweaking his way to become much better than people expected like a number three starter with lots of strikeouts that's probably what lazardo actually is right now and springs is at that level right now too which side of this one are you on al I'll go ahead and take Springs. It's it's almost impossible. I like them both. Uh, I've got them both uh, in in teams, uh, but I do view Lizardo as a little bit more risky, and I like the fact that Springs has this very consistent record of getting chases out of zone. I worry about walks with Lizardo, um, and yet Springs is you know no slouch at getting getting swings and misses. Um, he's really has been very consistently good at avoiding contact on end zone pitches, which is a stat that I love. So I mean, if, if you're going to force me to kind of find a tiebreaker, uh, I'll I'll give it to Springs. All right, I'm uh, reluctantly. I am on the Lizardo side. I'm worried about the injuries, like Mike said. I do think the team context. The Marlins aren't going to score runs. <laughs> it's yeah. it's just not going to happen. It's uh, it's run support's going to be at a premium for the Marlins pitching staff all season. Not a surprise. I think we all knew that going in. But I, I, something about Springs. Like I still, even though the numbers all point to this being sustainable, I'm like, no, nah, man, do it again. Do it again for a whole season. <laughs> I, I need. I need 20 more starts of this before I can believe, which is terrible because by then, you know, value completely changes. Let's get to some fluid situations here before we go. And the back of the Atlanta rotation because of injuries, a little bit of a revolving door right now, Mike. Is there anyone that you'd like to stand out from that pack, whether it's Bryce Elder, Dylan Dodd, or, or someone else? Do you see one of those guys emerging to be a more viable option throughout the year as they almost certainly will deal with a, a share of injuries given that Freed's hurt right now. Charlie Morton is pretty old. Uh, they, they've just got that depth question kind of hanging around the very last spot in their rotation, at least until Mike Soroka is healthy enough to pitch again for them. Yeah, that's why I'm like, like Schuster always was like the flashy pick, but obviously we saw what happened there. He's going to get another shot though. Uh, I think Dodd just might have the most intrigue because I think they obviously, I think they, they looked his way before Elder. So obviously the Braves, show us their hand a little bit there in terms of having preference and Dodd had okay first outing it wasn't like terror it wasn't bad it just wasn't special we're talking barely any strikeouts all things considered but uh got got the win out of it but obviously overperformed a little bit all things considered though I think I'm just gonna roll with Dodd because the Braves uh, as long as he keeps up performing Schuster I think he's gonna have a he'll have the first shot at it and then uh the Braves obviously believe in them giving the fact that they gave him a shot over Elder 
Ian Anderson. And of course, if Schuster struggles, then I feel like Dodd's the clear next guy up. So I guess Dodd, but I'm not, again, I'm not really excited about all of them. It's just they're all streaming options, I guess, at this point. Schuster could still be a thing, though. Don't just give up because of one bad start. I just, oh, it was just such a bad start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've talked about the Rays a lot. It makes sense in a show that's uh, focused on lineups. Uh, there's changes <laughs> frequently. And to me, they're, they're sort of like what the Giants were last year, or I guess maybe what the Rays were last year, uh, that there's, you know, at the top, you've got four hitters who seem really secure in their in their playing time in the rotation spots. The rest of it to me just seems like a, just a free for all. So is there, you know, we've talked about really, we've talked a little bit about Paredes Siri. Is there anybody out of the rest of that roster that you think could become a true regular? Uh, well, Josh Lowe's already showing to get the strong side of a platoon. So I don't know if you want to, it's just hard to call anybody a true regular on this roster. I look at like the best case scenario is a strong side platoon <laughs> for this, you know, for this team. But uh, Paredes has the best shot just because uh, the defense, his defense isn't even bad. So for them to prefer walls is really weird to me. I don't know if that's going to sustain. So I think Paredes obviously becomes, and he's already being rostered like one. So is Josh Lowe. Um, I think our best bet might be a call up and Curtis Mead come midseason if he gets that call Mead would probably if he gets that call up he's our top one of the top prospects he would be the guy that would get a regular spot but in terms of overall regular playing time in the bottom in the back half of that lineup I don't see anybody other than Siri getting any run with full-time role without an injury or underperformance yeah, we, if you look at what they've done to the first six games Wander and Randy Rosarena each have started all six games and you've got Yandy Diaz and Jose Siri have started five. Everybody else, four or less. So uh, even someone like Brandon Lau, who I think is a really good platoon sort of player, he has that limitation right now, just based on them being healthy. As injuries maybe shake things up, perhaps you could see some of those playing time uh, opportunities tick up for a couple of those really good uh, secondary members of that Rays lineup. What do you think of the White Sox situation without Eloy Jimenez? There's actually be some value there. We're going to have a waiver episode coming up tomorrow, so I'm sure we'll get into some more detail on it then. But does that seem like a good place to possibly speculate in these next couple of weeks while uh, Eloy is on the IL? So this would be a good time to go look ahead at matchups because Gavin Sheets looks to be in line for a strong side platoon for the two weeks. And we all know Sheets, when he runs hot, can hit with, with some serious power and can be a real difference maker there. So that would be the target, it looks like here. That's what that's how they that's how they've showed their hand for early on anyway. He got the first start today. I think Berger is in the lineup against a lefty, which again makes sense considering that. But uh yeah, I'm I, I think that would be the name to look for. And even then just you gotta look at that schedule. I haven't looked I haven't had a chance to get to that part of my analysis yet, so I can't offer any help there. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to the the well with the Giants because I've brought them up a few times. And like I said, they seem to be more stable, but I also don't want to take what's happening in the first week of the season too seriously. Uh, what do you see ahead for them? Do you think, you know, somebody like David VR? I mean, you said you, you trusted the playing time uh, reasonably with him, but I mean, do you see any, do you see anybody there maybe who is not as good of a bet for playing time as it would appear right now? Well, the reason why there hasn't been a lot of fluctuation is because they haven't faced a single lefty, I don't think, this year. So it's been all righties. And because of that, you've seen a lot of consistent playing time, including today is another righty. So J.D. Davis gets himself. That's just one of those things where it's like, I, I don't really. I think what we're seeing is those are like the guys that are playing against righties are the guys we're going to see most of. So what you're seeing is what you, what you should expect to get most days. Guys most likely to be hurt by the platoon, though. Blake Sable, because he's one of those guys that goes back to what we said at the beginning of the show, that he's just a guy that gets pinch hit for in the middle of games. They, uh, I, I don't know how he is as a catcher. I'd have to see some of the metrics. I think he had a few pass balls his last start. He is starting catcher today, but they did sign Gary Sanchez. So I don't, and not, not that Gary Sanchez is a defensive wizard, but he at least has experience and they know what they're getting into. Uh, David Yar, the reason why I feel safe is because he's playing against all these righties. So if someone's playing against all these righties as a right handed hitter, I expect his uh, spot to be rather safe. Flores and um, and I mentioned Davis, those guys are more on the weak side of platoons right now. So although they are getting starts, it's for guys getting days off and whatnot. Uh, Hanniger, when he returns, will probably be one of the more regular guys as well. And that will throw things into a loop. You'll, I think you'll see Yaz and I don't know if it's going to be Wade. I know Peterson, they platooned Peterson a lot last year. So I think Peterson and Yaz would become two two more two of the more likely guys to fall into uh, weak, uh, strong side platoons once Hanniger's back and there's more of a rotation there. But yeah, yeah, this I, this lineup is a, just a mess always. I think 
Mitch Hanniger's return probably hurts Blake Sable the most, oh, but absolutely. the way they run that roster, it will hurt one or two other players a little bit on the margins as well. I think Hanniger Hanniger's going to get the same treatment from the Giants that Arena and Wander get from the Rays mm-hmm. as far as playing time. The, these teams that platoon as much as the Giants and Rays, they have a small core of guys that have to play every day because you can't platoon every spot. Hanniger very safely in that high-volume uh, opportunity. So if you're in a shallow league where he's been you know, dropped, eight, ten team leagues that are out there. Actually, I think Mitch Hanager is a pretty good pickup right now where possible. I know it's not possible in a lot of the leagues that many of us actually play in, uh, but hey, to each their own. I had one more thought before we were going to go, and I absolutely lost a hold of it. Oh, it was the schedule. The Giants' schedule changes a ton next week. They've got four lefties because they see the Dodgers and Tigers. So four lefties in six games and the White Sox, all righties throughout next week as it's currently projected. So six games, six righties. So probably a lot of Gavin Sheets, at least a good weekly pickup for those matchups, I think, as we look ahead. Mike, before we sign off, let our listeners again know what you're up to each and every week, where they can find your work. Well, the best place to find everything I'm doing is at, on Twitter because I just post everything there, but it's um, <laughs> at Mike underscore Cur- at Mike underscore Curland. It's almost like I've never said it before. Um, <laughs> I do a lot. I've been trying to do two to three live streams on the YouTube channel. So, uh, goes back to the gaining the edge brand uh, at uh, youtube.com slash at GTE fantasy. You'll find I do two to three live streams a week that goes on the podcast feed as well. So basically little podcast, also the Patreon where I'm doing, I, I do the lineup stuff coverage for the athletic once every three weeks right now, but I do two to three, sometimes four write-ups a week on just this type of content uh, um, exclusively over there. So that's patreon.com slash GTE fantasy. So GTE, the athletic, and that's pretty much, that's all my work, all my work's, those two spots, but obviously Twitter, you can find me there. And I tweet a whole bunch of this stuff out as well as a kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm not, it's not all behind a paywall. I promise. So uh, <laughs> and also if you want to get, if you just want to have access to it, it's the easiest place to find it all. Totally makes sense. It, we all got bills. So oh, yeah. I don't think I don't, no one, no one should be grudgy for, uh, for the paywall. Well, I think you know how that goes. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I got, I got bills. So I, I totally understand. Mike, we appreciate your time and your insight today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's uh, really, honestly, awesome to be on this podcast. This is one of those podcasts that's like, I've been just waiting for a chance to get on, so I'm glad you guys gave me the opportunity. I'm very thankful. Uh, happy to have you. You can find Al on Twitter at LMilkyRBB. You can find me at Derek Van Reinpert if you want to get a subscription to The Athletic because you don't have one yet. It's a dollar a month for the first year at TheAthletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. It's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. <laughs>